Hey there, and welcome to Series 3 of the Figuring Things Out podcast. I'm your host, Will Brown. Our third series explores the topic of creativity. What exactly is it? How does one curate it, make time for it, or even sustain it? Can you teach creativity? Are we born creative? How to get out of your own way? And much, much more. We hear from our own guest experiences, their life stories, and their advice and ideas on creativity. There is a ton of gold in this series. We must say a huge thank you to our patroons who continually support us in this project. They help us with creative input, such as topic suggestions, questions to ask, and even guest requests. If you'd like to become a patroon and get involved with the podcast, please visit Figuring Things Out podcast via Patreon. In doing so, you'll allow us to keep making these conversations and support us in keeping it ad-free. In episode three, we had a great conversation with David Johnston of Accept and Proceed. He came into the conversation with a list of randomly selected words, and we tried to creatively add them into the conversation. We both really enjoyed this, and I decided to take it forward and put it into episode four and episode five. We'd love to keep this going, as it's a really lovely addition of chaos, volatility, but also intrigue. It keeps me on my toes, and therefore the conversation has a little bit extra. Please let us know in the comments if you like or dislike this, and if you have any more ideas. Thanks for listening, and now, on to today's guest. Enjoy the conversation. Hello guys, and welcome back to the Figuring Things Out podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome David Johnston. Here's a brief introduction. David is a husband, a father, and a vibrant human being. He's an entrepreneurial activist, the founder and CEO of Accept and Proceed, a design agency driven with the passion to design for a better future. I'm excited because he's the first person I've interviewed outside of my own movement sphere, and I feel like he's got so much value and inspiration to offer. I'm lucky enough to work with David in various forms, including one-to-one and workshops. And each time we meet, we have a great conversation and coming away, we come away feeling mutually inspired. It feels right to have a public conversation on the topic of creativity. David Johnston, big introduction. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's my great pleasure to be with you, Will. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. So I have to come clean. This is the second conversation. I may have had an amateur mistake and forgot to record the first one. So we had a great one in private. So this one is, is going to be even better. So I'm really excited. Um, you had a brilliant idea when you came onto the podcast the first time. You said, I'd like to add random words into the equation. And it really, it, it took me by surprise, but actually I think it formed the groundwork for something that was quite creative in a way. Um, this time around, I've created the random words, so you don't know what they are. And I will do my best to bring them into the conversation whenever we feel um, right. Maybe let's first of all go, who is David today in his own words? Who is David today? Um, David is definitely creative. I think you said David is a father and a husband, which I am, but of course I'm also a son and a brother and a friend and a colleague. Uh, David is the founder of a design agency called Accept and Proceed, as you mentioned, um, but actually any one of those things feels quite restrictive. And even the ones I've just ticked off there, they're just labels that we call ourselves. I think David is a wonder of the universe. I would be very comfortable with as far as we understand it. We are the, the highest, highest expression of consciousness in this universe. And if we could live and breathe and really step into that awareness in our day to day, I think the world would be a different place altogether. So I'd be comfortable with just saying I am a David, if that's Absolutely. okay. I love that. We've got our we've got our clickbait title already. David is a wonder of the universe. That's beautiful. Um, you actually run a podcast yourself or have been uh, interviewing people yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. We're just moving into season four of Endless Vital Activity. Right. And um, what's the premise of that? Is that design-based? 
Um, well, actually, it's broader than that. We speak to some of the world's uh, leading thinkers really about the future, but anyone from artists to scientists to engineers to, you know, doctors, all about um, the challenges that we face in these tipping point moments for so many different systems and moving into season four, we're sort of leaving behind ourselves um, you know, the narrative and the backdrop of our existence is that we've been dealing with existential crisis collectively for a, it feels like a very long time. And I think we can all pretty much recognize that we are entering an era, if not already in it, of cascading crisis. But you can't really create from that place a fear of anxiety. And I think what's happening simultaneous to the falling apart of systems is that new things are emerging. This is how nature works. Things die and things get born. Systems that aren't serving the planet well are starting to die. That's evident. But actually what's emerging, how enchanting the things that are emerging are, is really the focus of our season four. So we're thinking about fearless creativity mm. in the conversations we're having. And I'm very excited. We're kicking off next week with the conversations around that. Beautiful. It sounds really positive. I wonder, how do you maintain a... In, in the face of all of these crises and all these things that feel so fundamental that are also breaking down, how do you see the future with a sense of positivity? I, I can't call what the future actually holds. I mean, really sitting with that is probably a good place to start. None of us has a, a crystal ball around the, the way the future might, might, might look. I do think we need to be very cognizant of the fact that the media channels are feeding narratives to us and our social platforms and actually what seems to be a very inherent human trait to kind of gossip and trade, you know, often negative gossip around what's happening in the world could give you a very skewed perspective on what's actually happening. Although there are some pretty, you know, dark stats around teenage suicide, mental health. Like these are things that are starting to, I think, be responses to those failing systems. Media channels being one of them is a failing system. So I suppose what the only real agency you have in the world, is it not, is, is the influence that you can have. And I suppose what I try and comfort myself with is the idea that it's my unique responsibility to step into every moment at the highest possible frequency that I can. And I am a true believer that what happens on the micro affects the macro. You know, there's fascinating research into the quantum realm and the smallest things in the universe, you know, affecting the biggest things in the universe. If we understand and believe in this idea of a big bang, we all come from a source point. Every one of us, our consciousness has been born out of that. Every single thing in the far flung universe has been thrown out of that, that kind of point zero. So it makes sense actually that we can affect the universe and we can certainly affect this planet through our actions. So I kind of try and take the, the, the stance that if I'm working on myself, if I'm showing up in a way that I feel is in flow and has integrity and is true to myself, it has profound effects, you know, on the people around me and the ripple effects of that happening around the globe is that's, that's really a place that I, I try and sit on and not get overwhelmed by the, the, the sort of looking either out at the stars or across our planet and thinking, ah, what can I do? I just do what I can where I can really and hope that will have an effect. But I, I do think that's where the change will come. You know, yeah. millions of people all doing that collectively just changes the game immediately. Yeah. I think what you touch on there is the, this idea of the meaning crisis, right? Of the, the, the stats saying one thing that there's no more war and there's no more disease and all, all the numbers say that the averages are going really well and they're trending positively. But then we have rates of teenage suicide, for example, skyrocketing. And I think this is in response to this idea of, well, if we're doing so well, why are we not feeling good about ourselves or in ourselves and with each other? And I feel like a lot of that is, is within how we interact with each other. Um, and something that you're working with right now is a, a project called, we don't know what this is. And I feel yeah. like this is in a way a response to that. It's, it, it's in a way from what I understand is a, a community project. Can you explain what, what's going on? What a, what a beautiful way to phrase it. I've never thought of it as a community project, but that's exactly what it is. 
Um, I suppose there's to just there was two parts to what you said, and I want to unpack both of them. I think this generation looks to the future and it's the first time in a very long time that they could maybe say it's not going to be as good for me as it was for you. And in fact, what we're thinking about is generation, you know, you go forward eight generations as indigenous, indigenous you know, communities like to do thinking about their actions now and the effect on eight generations time, but eight generations from now could be pretty stark. You know, it could, it could be very, very dark, but equally, I have lived my life um, with various points of dismay, really. It's been, for me, 46 years of losing faith in so much. And now, in a way, because it's so necessary that things fall apart, I see that the emergence of something new is, is really the story I will tell to my children. Like, they are at this tipping point of humanity, but is it a rebirth of humanity? And if so, how fucking exciting is that? Like, would you, what, what other point in history would you wish to be alive than this moment where there's everything to play for? The potential of this moment is huge. But yes, step into that with, with, with joy because being alive is joyful. Our natural state, I believe, is as creative, joyful entities of the universe. And, and I think living in that place will mean that, that we have a brighter future and that you have a brighter future because you are, you are working as part of the emergence of a new society of humankind that doesn't have those flawed systems that I went all the way through my teen years thinking, what is going on? Why are we running our countries like this? Why are we eating like this? Why are families seemingly so dysfunctional and, and uncaring, you know, are there new ways to do all of these things? Like this is the moment to really think about the new ways of doing things and ask, have we been doing it right? Um, but we don't know what this is. I suppose I've always been really interested in Eastern philosophy. And I think the, you know, the world view um, of Western, and in fact, this is so inherent in even our language, so in, in many Eastern languages, for example, you might look at something like a tree and you say that the tree is expressing as tree or made of tree, but you don't say it's an individual tree. We think of a tree as an individual entity, almost like it might be called will, or, you know, I can go and give it a hug or I can like hang off it or whatever. Mm. But, but of course, in an entangled worldview and an emergent universe, these are all just expressions, you know, non-separate and I've always really, really loved the idea of the Eastern worldview that allows us to see ourselves as entangled in a oneness of everything, non-dualist. And the Western worldview is really pr productive, <laughs> but it sees a sort of horizon point that you're working towards and that that will be better than where you are right now. That's basically what capitalism is based on and the way that Western society is organized. And because that is untrue, that is why these systems are all falling apart around us. Now, we don't know what this is, is a kind of acceptance that we don't really know what the end point is. We don't know. There are many, there's a spectrum, you know, a futures cone, if you like, that you could step into many different potential futures. So which one are you going to choose right now. And that is a very, very powerful place to operate from as a human being. So just to say we don't know what it is, is a very, very empowering statement. But actually, I must admit, that is a name that was given to sunrise gatherings um, by my friend Tom, or Thomas, as he's known, Thomas Sharp, who's a fantastic poet and creator and collaborator and dear friend of mine. And I told him probably over a year ago, maybe even it would have been probably November 2022 um, that I had had in a fevery state. I had COVID and I was in a fevery state and I had a vision of people gathering on Hackney Marshes in a very specific point and watching the sunrise. And it was just a dream, really. It was just a fevery dream. And he said, you have to make this happen. And I said, really? And he was like, let's get together and talk about this. But I think it's meant to happen. That was his empowerment of the idea, I suppose. And then we we invited a few other people to come and discuss this, one being Claire Farrell, uh, who's one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion, 
Um, and the other being Charlie, who's also a founder of Extinction Rebellion and uh, runs a, a small design agency called Ain't Rock and Roll that does a lot of work around activism and brand expression. Um, and we got together and had a chat and then we went down and met on the marshes and then we enlisted the help of a breathwork expert called Stuart uh, Sanderman, who's also a friend, and he gave down and had a look. And we were like, let's do it. So we just started gathering, basically. It was an opportunity for me to practice my design skills that I don't get to deploy that much anymore because I'm too busy sort of thinking about the vision and the mission and doing partnership stuff. And really, you know, I don't get involved in much of the day-to-day -day of our work very often. So I got to create a brand and a campaign and set up a social platform. But it was Tom that named it, We Don't Know What This Is. And really, it's an open call for people to gather four times a year at the solstices and uh, the equinoxes and to just come down and see what happens. And, you know, the, the earlier ones were were not as well attended as the later ones because people don't like getting out of bed so early, but every single one of them was utterly magical. You know, had a load of children that came down and they sat in the tree and watched the most spectacular display of the sunrise. And for me, this is something, an example really of, of the joy of the human experience and the wonder of what it is to be alive. Every single day and night we have the ability to be able to watch the most incredible event, which is the sunrise and sunset. Mm. And magical things can happen in those moments. Um, and I think magical things have in conversations. But really, it is an example of a micro community forming, emerging, um, without a, an intent, without commercial drivers, without really an ulterior motive, just to see what happens. Mm. And I think that societies of the future will probably cluster more in this way. I really uh, hope so. Mm. And there was something like one of the thoughts, just one example of something that happened unexpected to, unexpectedly to me at one of the sunrise gatherings. Um, it was actually at the, the summer solstice and uh, fewer people came because it was like four in the morning, probably about 15 or 20 people turned up and it did have the, the vibe of like a the, you know, the dying embers of a rave when everyone's been up all night and the sun starts coming up and there's those, those weird conversations started to happen. It kind of felt like that. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was like old ravers basically standing around having weird chats. But as the sun first showed itself and the first sunbeams hit our faces, everybody went into a deep state of meditation and their eyes were closed and the most peace on their faces that I could see as I took a sneaky peek at the people around me. And a couple of thoughts occurred to me in that moment. One was that the dawn chorus that I could hear in the distance isn't something that just happens at, you know, sunrise on Hackney Marshes for 15 or 20 minutes. It's something that is eternal. It's been eternal throughout the history of our planet. This wave that's going around the planet constantly right now is waking up every single creepy crawly with a voice is like raving as the sunshine rises and has been eternally. And if you could travel around with that wave, what an incredible perspective you would have mm -hmm. on our planet. And I just thought that was the most incredible, fascinating realization that a sunrise isn't momentary. It's, it, it's eternal. Um, and that actually spawned an idea for another project that I might want to do in the future called the eternal sunrise mm. so it really thinks about dawn chorus it mapping around the planet and waving as we go um and and follows the this sort of sun from an eternal perspective mm. so like that's just an example of a creative thought that i only could have had in that moment that was inspired mm. from that circumstance many other people would have had other ideas and other thoughts so it is a community initiative it's also a creative endeavor and i think it is a, an exploration in emergence this is the curious thing I find in creativity, is that it's not necessarily a pragmatic thing. It's almost like the more you daydream and the more you give space to be creative, things emerge. And these kind of seemingly disparate ideas that you've experienced or experiences that you've had come together, you then form this new entity and that becomes a creative act. Does that make sense? Completely. Thing is so interesting because it's so almost anti-creative to try too hard, which is so against the 
um, let's call it cap- capitalist narrative of, of um, infinite progression and the horizon you spoke about. I think it's such a fickle conversation to have is how do you embrace creativity and push your creativity forwards knowing that trying too hard is not going to help? Do you have any processes or ideas within your own design work that help you to harness creativity in a way that still means you get stuff done? Yeah. Yeah. I think being a commercial agency and having to make money means you have to have processes and you have to have day rates and you have to make profitable your projects. And there's a degree of control that you have to have around that. But you're right. There's a, you know, it's a contradiction in terms, the controlled creative process. But I think recognizing that I suppose we create a lot of time and space to play or as much as we possibly can and also self-initiate. So right back from our earliest days, in fact, the very first project before we'd done any commercial work, before we'd put anything out into the world, the very first thing that I ever created was called a light calendar. And it's funny to think about this 16 years on and this, this sort of sunrise gathering that is now getting traction because actually the light calendar was a sunrise calendar, basically, that showed you from London's perspective, the amount of light and dark for the year ahead. So they're beautiful, silk screened, glow in the dark, A1 prints, um, sister and brother for each year. And we, we actually explored that for 10 years, 10 years of data, beautiful project that became a rite of passage for new designers that came into the studio. And we actually it culminated in a big exhibition in Shoreditch in 2016. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that was good because it became like the cornerstone of the way we, we worked, which was to self-initiate and create and put some of that stuff out into the world and then see what gravitational pull those sorts of things would have. So over many years, we were known as, you know, progressive in terms of data visualization and data expression and data dramatization as we've gone on to explore because of that piece of work, I think. And then into our business model over the the years, we basically built in ways to be able to create space to explore, to research and develop stuff that could be applied to our commercial work or may just exist as artistic expressions. And that saw us, um, we were lucky enough to to buy a studio in Bethnal Green. I say a studio, it was a, an ex-council office space, which I renovated into a one-bedroom apartment and a small space at the front, where just four of us worked very happily for five or six years, a bit like a garage band. And, um, you know, that appreciated and allowed us to actually buy another property on Kingsland Road. And at the front of that property, we had a space that was an entrance that was 43 meters cubed. And we called it the 43M3 gallery. And it was it was an art gallery, a legitimate art gallery that we ran for five years, sometimes collaborating with architects or kinetic artists or sound you know, artists. And we basically explored lots of different areas through running that art gallery for five years. And things happened from that space. So we created it in collaboration with an agency called Fields, um, a big floating metal space blanket, if you like, which was a kinetic sculpture that played out meteor strikes to the moon. We took 10 years of NASA data and we created this amazing dancing metal space blanket that played out that data over three hours. That resulted in an introduction to NASA and the Jet Propulsion Lab. And they are happily one of our partners up until this day because of that. You don't really get to work with NASA and the Jet Propulsion Lab. It's not like you give them a call and you can imagine every single agency in the world would love to work with them. It has to come from a place of authenticity and synchronicity. So I suppose we've we've built into the business models, you know, space to be able to research, create, and then also self-initiate and put out into the world things that have the ripple effect of being able to draw like-minded entities towards us. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. How do you go about deciding on a topic or a, or a project? Because it, it feels to me that you're very positive. You lack cynicism in, in a really nice way. You just go, yes, I'm into this. Let's try. I'm open to the, the experience. How do you, or do you not uh, choose the direction? Does it just occur? And then you don't bother to think about the end point or is there some master plan? It's funny, like when we ran that art gallery for five years, I remember quite a few 
people from other agencies saying, oh, you're so strategic. This is super smart what you've done. But it wasn't that. It was never that. You can obviously look back on on a piece of work or a body of work even, and you can join the dots. I often find great creators. I'm not counting myself as one of those necessarily. But when I look at, say, a body of work of someone like David Bowie or, I don't know, brilliant people that you look back on their work and you're like, oh, wow. Like in the context of a chronology of really powerful work. It all makes sense, but they didn't really know they were doing that at the time. Bowie was just like a trailblazing creative force of nature that was just channeling, like just creating through, it felt right, do it, instinctive. He's an artist, a total artist. And I think the great creators are like that. And while I'm I'm not one of those, I'm not an artist, I do try as much as possible to create from a place other than my mind and allow my instincts to, to, to drive, you know, and, and, and allow myself to do things that are unshackled sometimes by the drivers of the system, shall we say. So at any one time I've got things going on within the system, accept and proceed is one of those. Although I think that it is trying to change the system from within the system. That is really our intention. But then outside of the system, you know, I've got sunrise gatherings going on, or I've got even the podcast. These are things that are percolating. And over time, if they percolate enough and then they get thrown into the system, that's when it all like goes off like a Catherine wheel. That's where I've seen people experiment and suddenly something has the capacity to compound grow because it's been able to incubate outside of a system, suddenly gets entangled in a system and off it goes. It's incredible. Mm. But I do think that... um, so my personal drivers try to be quite instinctive and channeling from a place that feels right and trusting that I have picked up enough strategy over the years to be able to allow my instinct to drive the right kind of path forward. Mm. But that's not the way with Accept and Proceed. Accept and Proceed used to create more in that way. And it wasn't just down to me. It never has been. Like this is a collection of people, you know, a company isn't a company. It's a collection of people. <laughs> and, and I think you've got to remember that, you know, it, it's a real world. We're real people. Let's get real. But I think that accept and proceed over time has seen a massive potential in the area that it's worked in a brand, the application of brands, the relationship between brand and business and the detrimental effects that all of that has had really over the last 50 years or so, but increasingly so, you know, the powers of behavior change, the dark art of being able to literally, you know, make people behave in a certain way that comes with a major responsibility now. So accept and proceed is really thinking about how that dark art, how that powerful mechanic of desire can actually be used to be able to move the conversation forward and actually have positive impact in the world. So we have a vision of a world that we would think humans are deserving of in in the future. And then we are able to gauge what work we will and won't do and how we will and won't do it in alignment with an impact strategy that goes along with our business strategy and our creative strategy. So that helps guide and drive what decisions may be right for us to work in terms of, you know, the way that we, that we guide our work. But that said, we have this continuum that we've created, which in a way is the evolution of our art gallery, but it's now an incubator basically for ideas. That's for you to run free. So that is very specifically an open space for designers, strategists, project managers, anyone that accept and proceed to take in an idea and explore it. And it may amount to nothing or it may become our biggest project ever. Who knows? But that mm. is a open space where there is no prerequisite and there is no guidance and there certainly is no endpoint necessarily enforced on any of the ideas that are incubated in there. Yeah. I think this is a really lovely intention and I see it almost as an intention to give permission to try and see what happens. And I wonder for you as a person, I feel that's very strong and it makes me think about your childhood and I wonder when you were growing up through education with, with certain teachers or or parents, was that instilled into you or did you always have the innate ability to just give yourself permission to do something? Because it's really an artistic endeavor to give permission to do something, really give permission to do whatever you feel like you need to do. I agree, but I think it's the natural state of humans 
But I think that often society requires us as we grow up to become something other than our natural state. And in fact, many humans are kind of living in a pretty unnatural state for the most part. Um, I suppose maybe though, there are different types of people, those that think that they have maybe a right, if that's the right word, to, to change the world around them and those that don't. And I think that my, my upbringing, my parents who I'm very thankful for, Bill and Dinah and the environment that they created in our family, as well as, um, I guess the school and the friends and my choice to go down the path of design, these, these have all culminated in me very much feeling like it is my right to change the world around me. And I have the power to be able to do that. And yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's something that I could cite as any individual or experience though. I, I suppose I've been always very inspired by musicians, rock stars, artists who are really seem to be blazing a trail. You know, these remarkable otherworldly, almost alien intelligences that seem to land on our planet and show a new way forward. I've always been very inspired by these stars that emerge, but I'm also, as I mature, very understanding that they don't just like pop out of nowhere. They come from scenes. And I love this idea that Brian Eno coined, um, as he did many, like the inventor of uh, ambient music, if you're aware of Brian Eno, fascinating body of work. Um, but this idea of a senius that is, is really a movement that obviously pops up little star moments, but in fact, increasingly, what I hope is happening is that the scenes are becoming the stars. You know, the movements are becoming the stars and what feels like a very different, almost atomization of culture from when I was being brought up, actually I think is something much more powerful than that. It's the clustering of different moments that collectively I think will emerge into something very profound, this new society of humankind that I feel is bubbling up and it's below the surface, but closer to the surface than maybe we know. I think we're closer than we actually feel. And yeah, I, I couldn't be more excited by that. I, I, I feel that, um, I don't know if that really answers your question fully, but I feel strongly that the, the kind of, the kind of beacons of light that we can be as individuals that I do feel is my birthright and always have felt, I think that they're needed right now, but they're not needed to be self-serving. They must be collective efforts, understanding the moment that we're living in, the precarious nature of it, and understanding that if you're alive in these moments, then you have a responsibility to work together, to be able to move things forward. And in that, I recognize that you know, just last year, some of the experiences I had, like going to a farmer's convention in Byron Bay and being in a tent with 800, you know, big Australian farmers who were so full of light about the potential future of regenerative agriculture and watching a keynote by Dr. Zach Bush, that was like the best gig I've ever been to in my life. And, you know, realizing that the rock stars, uh, are everywhere. Like the stars of our times are the farmers that are evolving. They are, you know, the, the activists that are evolving. They are these incredible examples that are quite unexpectedly just emerging to show us a new path forward. And I feel in that there's, there's incredible, exciting times. And I, when I think about the, the movement, you know, areas that inspire me, I, I, I think of people like, um, Stora, who are just basically wild alley cats roaming the city and searching out new adventures and just like, what can we jump on and how can we master this thing that's just in front of us? This, this kind of, the universe has presented this set of apparatus and we will use our creative minds to do it. Like they're rock stars because of that. And it's an exciting time. Like mm. uh, uh, simultaneous to the dissipation of like, massive movements of culture. I feel that there's the clustering of all these pockets 
that are just going to like slime mold together and change the world for the better. And I am optimistic about that. I couldn't be more optimistic because that's what I feel in my heart is happening. The breakdown to emerge. Sorry to interrupt. Just a quick note. This podcast is a self-funded project and we're trying our best to keep it ad-free. If you're enjoying the conversations and would like to support us, please feel free to do so for the price of a coffee via Patreon. You can also share it with your friends as it really helps us to grow. For any coaching courses and event offers, please visit our website, www.figuringthingsout.com. For now, back to the podcast. I think we were talking about AI briefly. It felt like I was having a lot of conversations around AI at that time. Um, and there's the most amazing advert by On Running down on Hackney Road at the moment. It's actually painted, like spray painted in paint on the wall. And it, it's got two runners at the end of a run hugging. And it says, AI can't generate this. Mm. And I just thought, fuck, that's so good. I really, really love it. Well done, On Running. Mm. Um, I... I think that when what that really brought up for me, because it pondered like a lot of your kind of with pearls of wisdom, it, it's something that kind of repeated on me like a good meal um, for, for weeks afterwards. <laughs> but I got I I felt like there was something missing, like emotional wear, hardware, software, yes, but all of those emotions are a lower level function of consciousness, as far as I'm concerned. In all of my explorations of my mind and body and soul. I've realized there's something other. I, I believe it might be soulware, but to actually describe it as where at all would probably be missing the point. Yeah. But I feel that that's where true creativity comes from. It emanates from that place of consciousness. And there's so many things getting in the way of it. Sometimes it is uh, hard and soft and emotional where that's getting in the way of truly channeling creativity. But I think if we want to really try and get to where it comes from, that's it. Mm. It's above all of those things or outside mm. of all of those things. Yeah, I think what you said prior um, about the your ability to give permission to do and that intent to resonate on a higher frequency, you said quite early on in the conversation that you really see it as your opportunity and your 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 birthright almost to meet everything and, and greet everything with a, with a high frequency in a way that encompasses everything because that then resonates and, and, and fluctuates on. It feels like. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Recognizing that everything is energy. You are energy and you're in exchange with the world around us. That's a great, powerful place to operate from. I think it's the perfect time to add one of our random words and I'm going to th throw one of them in because I feel like it's the perfect moment to add the word pioneer, one of our three random words. And the question I'll ask is, these people or groups that you're talking about right now feel like pioneers in certain ways. They're people that are moving at the forefront of these small collectives or scenes, as you called them. And I wonder, what is it about these groups or people that the collective are inspired by? Why is it that they are seen as pioneers? I think because they are questioning. They are asking if we're doing this right. And they're listening very deeply to the moment that we live in. And they're seeing with a broader spectrum what is around us and what's happening. I feel like the consciousness of certain people is widening and that these groups and both individuals and, and collectives are awakening. They are evolving their consciousness. That's really what I see is happening. And I think that if, if I think of back through my career in graphic design, for example, we most designers will have learnt the, the design principles of Dieter Rams, and they're good design principles. Many of them are valid to this day, which is pretty impressive considering I think they were, they were written in the 50s. Some of them were not written with the worldview of finite resource. 
So the context is everything. The context is changing. As our awareness of finite resource changes, then the rules that we design by or might apply to our creativity, the themes at least, the principles and drivers will change along with them. So for example, one of the design principles of Dieter Rams is as little design as possible. But there's a question that needs to precede that, which is, should we design at all? To not act can be an action. And I think that people are questioning more now than ever, are we doing this right? And if not, how can we do it differently? And that's what I see is, is happening. People that aren't willing to just accept the status quo and live within the systems that they always knew were wrong and are not making people happy. <laughs> mm. You look at CEOs of companies and they may be wealthy and perceptually successful, but you look into their eyes or the complexion of their skin or just the energy that they're emitting and you're like, you're not happy. And I think that younger people especially are, are, are looking to the older generations and saying, no. <laughs> mm. Mm. There's a lack of inspiration that I feel, a lack of trust, a lack of vulnerability, maybe um, a lack of open communication as well. If we see these hierarchies of people, then doesn't really seem to be open to, to a community of people. It feels more like a, a gross entity that you can't quite penetrate. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I think an understanding that, you know, certain things, you know, the Einstein quote that you can't fix a problem with the same thinking that created it. I think there's a lot of that going on, mm. like we're picking up the ball, we're going to go and make a new game over there and just forget that one. It will just fall apart. Mm. You know, I, 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 I hope and feel that that is the moment that we're living in. I, th I feel so. I feel even more positive after our um, work with John Alexander of the Citizen Project. And he, he spoke about this idea of moving away from being a follower um, and then from a consumer and into a, a person that seeks the others to make some changes that are local to them and not necessarily online, also in person. And I think this local resonance is really going to help shake the structure of, of these big societies up and, and, and hopefully help us stay connected in, in a genuine way and, and move forward in a, in a, in a way that resonates with a lot of people. Um, I wonder after the event that we, we shared, we spoke a bit about this idea of communication and we went through these, these, let's say three stage process of, first of all, embodying what it is to listen via physical tasks. And then we went through this idea of well, what is it to give uh, or to speak? And then we worked on, on this idea of collaboration, of, of working between the two of, of the sticky zone. And then we, we had the team kind of really try to physically enact these things out and then open into a broad communication on, on a specific topic. I wonder for, for, for you and your experience, how that was and, and how that informs your process moving forward creatively, creatively, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I'm so impressed with the work that John Alexander and the new citizenship project are doing and reading that book was a, it's called citizens. And I highly recommend anybody, especially in the creative sectors to read that book because that word you used a minute ago, consumer has become increasingly triggering for me, even though it's become accepted in general you know, kind of creative sector, advertising sector, marketing sector. But what are we doing to ourselves when we call ourselves consumer 3000 times a day, which is the average amount of times you will receive that message when living in a metropolis like London. When you look at the Oxford English Dictionary definition of the word consumer, it means to destroy, to wear away, to kill, to annul, to extinguish, <laughs> to exhaust, to eat, to devour. Ouch. This is so brutal. Like why, why would we label ourselves in this way? So what John and, and NCP are really doing is, is asking ourselves, 
what is appropriate language? How can we take responsibility for a new story to be ushered in, an evolved story of consumption and one which is of shared chaperoning, I suppose, that we are, we are shared in our responsibility and our ability to think about the world in which we live. And we are creative beings and that actually the relationship between us and products and services and businesses is a conversation. And the way that things have evolved for profit-making corporations is just the way they evolve, but it could have been many different ways. How would we be if we were citizens of this globe? And what would our relationship be to those things if they weren't extractive? And actually, if they were in conversation with us and we could truly co-create as citizens, not co-create as consumers that only get to vote through buying those things. So it's powerful stuff that almost makes such logical, practical sense when, when you really hear it, you're like, oh yeah, no. But you kind of wake out of the fog of like, oh, of course it's not okay to call us consumers. Oh, well, how much else am I going to have revealed through the exploration of this idea of a global citizen? The workshop that we went through together had a healthy dose of structure and release. And I think that's in part the genius of actually the way that you teach and the, the, certainly the way that you approached that part of the workshop. I think that the, the parts of the brain that we engage, you know, in terms of the nervous system or the, um, what's the part that's the release, you know, cause for so many years, animals, I see this in my kitten that's living in the house at the moment. They're living in a place of, uh, kind of continual acceptance, but committed acceptance like a radical acceptance and that's the way that humans would have lived for thousands of generations but we've got very fight or flight we've got mm. very kind of i have to either respond and or, or run away rather than i will flow with this mm. thing. and and i think that what you did was just give just the right amount of handrails and the right amount of structure to then allow us to release and i think that's probably this sort of idea of tantra of kind of in and out and, and, you know, people think that's in relation to sexual activities and sting. Mm. <laughs> it's not just that it's like the continual kind of like a surfer might do the control to get up on the board and then the release of actually going with the wave, the acceptance of that. I actually think there's a key to everything is locked in the, the, the constant sort of exploration between mm. chaos and and I think that's what you showed us and why people enjoyed it so much. And you gave just the right amount of instruction for people to be able to learn. And it was the perfect grounding for us to go and do what we needed to do together in terms of being able to explore what citizens of the future might do in relationship um, to a big brand. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely point about acceptance being the key to so much. For me, what underpins it is a certain sense of safety. And that, that, that sense of, of both self-safety, of feeling good in oneself, and also not having too many unknowns in the situation that you're engaging with. Um, for example, surfing is quite a nice one. If someone um, is a good swimmer and they're comfortable with the temperature of the water and, and the location is, is comfortable, the sun's shining, the likelihood is that they're willingness to accept the dangers of the of the of a bigger wave and to go for it is quite high um this relates to the, the psychological idea of valence uh, the binary um, perception of the world you have a positive valence which means you perceive mainly good things and you have this negative valence which is the opposite you you feel like oh something's not quite right and it's very intuitive so for example we take the surface analogy and we flip it and maybe the water's really cold or there's, there's a new environment or new people or a, a new board maybe. And then you, you're probably less likely to engage with a, a big wave because your valence is on, on red alert. It's on, whew, I need to be careful here. And this is of course a survival mechanism that we needed when we're always basing our choices on, on intuition and, and valence. But of course now the world isn't necessarily like that. We can be a bit more accepting if we have the right tools to access that. Yeah. Uh, and things seem to trigger us more and more and more because we have so many low level stresses in, in the modern world. And so it takes some people a bit more time to really 
<sighs> as we did to start the call. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I feel this is also underpins creativity that like we said before, there's a certain amount of, I need to do what I need to do, but that also takes a certain sense of safety and, and, and drive to really, to move into creativity. Um, as part of that scenario, the environment is really important. And I, I've been to your office a couple of times now, and, and I see that there's really lovely environments for your team to work with. You have this outdoor environment, a more open downstairs office, a more professional, let's say pragmatic room, as you spoke about that, let's call it the freedom room upstairs and, and then the more classic kind of office. Um, can you explain a bit more of the, the thoughts behind them and, and, and how that supports your team's creativity? Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely here to hear you describe it that way. I think, um, I mean, as I mentioned, we we were lucky enough to buy for next to nothing that basically single room in Bethnal Green, which appreciated and allowed us to buy a bigger room that I didn't have to literally sleep in uh, on Kingsland Roads, which is one of the main arteries, you know, into the city and was definitely our kind of billboard to the world world for five or six years um but that appreciated too and to the point where i was like this is incredible we we that buying property saved us some years we made more in the appreciation of property than we than we did as a business and it kind of bailed us out a couple of times to the point where i just couldn't understand why other businesses wouldn't buy their own properties if they possibly could and and i, I think there's various reasons for that part of it is fear Part of it was also, I think, individuals who run businesses or own them maybe want to extract, you know, money to to keep themselves safe. Um, but if you own your own building, as we do now, six thousand square foot to over two floors on the corner of Downs Park, we can do what we want in here. So we just painted big white spots on the floor because they related to. A thing that we were, you know, a project we were doing. If this was not our property, we wouldn't be able to paint big white spots on the floor or paint the freedom room, as you called it, the continuum upstairs black. Um, and so I, I suppose, yes, having the safety and the ability, the the privilege, I suppose, of owning your own property really has allowed us to allow this thing to organically, you know, kind of evolve to the way that we should, we, we want it. Um, I should say that we, when we first got it, we ran it as a co-working space, which was an amazing exploration in building a brand and a small community. And we had a vegan cafe here and we ran that with varying degrees of success for about a year and a half. But it meant that we basically fitted it out for a community. And we thought of not ourselves, but a creative community to exist in this space. And that probably made us more ordered around us thinking about that can be the engine, that can be the freedom space, that can be, you know, the, the various different component parts. But it all is always in a state of evolution. There's certain parts of the studio that we're not happy with, and it can be down to something as simple as lighting. But sometimes it's a bit more, um, like it's a bit more fundamental in relation to the operations and things. But it is a state of evolution. I think one of the the absolute gifts that we have, though, is our garden which I remember asking our operations director if we could have £3,000 to spend on plants, which felt like a lot at the time, but it's probably the best £3,000 we've ever spent because just watching that garden, you know, through the seasons unfold like a beautiful slow symphony is just a joy to be around. And it's a space that we just go and sit. I've got the rings up there, as you saw, but we all just go and sit uh, if we need time out or to just sit in nature, I think nature calms you down. Nature mm. inspires the best conversations. We certainly have good parties and barbecues and things out there as well. And I remember a property developer coming and looking at the the property a few years ago. And he said, you know, you could make this into more office space. Look, this is unused foot, footprint, basically. And X, X, you know, square foot per pounds ratio means you could actually have an extra, I don't know, 200 grand value of the property but completely missing the point yeah. that garden is worth way more than any, any office footprint could ever deliver. So I think that it is always um, like our studio. It's in a state of evolution and what's right this year may not be next year, 
but it's it's been informed from the requirement of the agency to be able to create space uh, and also structure simultaneously. Mm. Mm. I think it's time for another random word. And right. I'll, I'll use greeting as our second random word, greeting. What springs to my mind in this moment is the difference between meeting new ideas um, and meeting new ideas that are related to ideas you've seen before versus completely seemingly new ideas and how you work with this. Because I feel like there's a certain amount of um, copying or insp mutual inspiration that needs to be had in the germination of something brand new. But at a certain point, you need to try and venture off into new territory. At the very beginnings of a project, how do you, as the the, the CEO, greet and meet your uh, team's ideas? How, how do you ensure that they're empowered to venture on, but also understand that there are certain goals that you need to hit? Good question. I like it a lot. Greeting's a funny word, isn't it? Because it feels singular and final almost. I will greet you. And then the, the, the story stops there, but it's not like that. You know, it's, it's at the beginning of an exchange. And I love this idea that I think that a lot of actors learn when they're starting to hone their craft around the second space. I think it comes from some famous New York like acting school where there's three different states when you're in exchange with someone or something. And the first is leaned back. And the third is to be leaning in. But the second space is actually in dialogue. So if I'm leaning back, obviously I may feel a bit like intimidated, but we're not, we're not really in dialogue. If I'm overbearing and leaning in, trying to tell you my point, that's the third space. But this idea of the second space, that great actors are able to literally have an entire audience in the second space with them. I'm in exchange. Even if you're not saying anything, the energy between us is flowing. Like that's a place that I'm fascinated by, the second space, in dialogue, in exchange. That's where the magic happens because it's non-separate. And I suppose... When it comes to the context of the office, like I, I had a um, SDI, uh, yeah, personality test done last year. And it turns out, so I don't know if you've heard of this SDI, but it's basically a triangle with, it sounds dodgy, doesn't it? That's why I paused it. I help but laugh. <laughs> An SDI test. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> no, we're going to go there. No. SD for David I and um basically it has it has uh, green blue and red character traits and if you were to give a kind of metaphor to the different states you have uh, green which is the submarine so they're working slowly under the the ground they're sort of making shit happen but they're also quite formal i will not leave the harbor until this form is signed type of vehicle that's your personality um, this is a little bit distilling too much, but the blue is like an ambulance. They kind of rush in and they fix things. They'll put a plaster. Okay, where's the crisis? I'll fix it. And the red is a snowplow. And, you know, another label for David is David the snowplow. I'm I'm somebody that like forges forward and moves the snow out of the way. And you're like, let's go together, but like get behind me. I'm going to forge forward, um, which is problematic sometimes because sometimes I'm not even looking back to see who's with me. I'm just off for the hills. So this awareness about my personality trait has, has allowed me to recognize others with different personalities and think about how the snowplow can be beneficial, but also how it's not sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose increasingly what I really want to do is celebrate, celebrate the ideas and creativity of individuals and create space and like, yeah, empowerment, I suppose, through me getting out of the way. I mean, sometimes it's not, it's not my job to be involved, actually. I don't need to, to get out and, and kick the tires of these ideas. I just want to celebrate that they're even there and emerging. And I think recognizing that I, when I am in discussion with someone about ideas, it's a dialogue. 
you know, it's not, uh, I'm not a decision maker. I might be the holder of a process and I might be the holder of space. And what I don't want to be is necessarily hierarchical. And I am the decision maker that will say this is the right path forward. So I, I hopefully, I it's a continual challenge for my red personality type, but I hopefully am able and you know aware enough to be able to create space for dialogue and exchange in the second space to see what emerges collectively and mm. not necessarily feel like I have to take ownership or anyone else takes ownership. It's a process and it's an emergent process. Mm. Of course, I'm 46 years old. I have enjoyed going through a career in design, but then probably 15 years ago when I started this agency, really got interested in business and really got interested in the component parts of business. And then even beyond that, really started looking out into the world and thinking about all of the different systems that we live within. So that comes with it a certain, um, I guess, in some respects, it is a more bird's eye view and a more advanced understanding of something that can inform intuition and make decisions based on that. So I suppose I will try and guide ideas where it, where I really feel the intuition is there, but I will always back it up and rationalize with this is why I think this is the right path forwards and let's co-define the actual way forward together based on a rational discussion. Lovely. Due to creativity being a really slippery sucker to try and nail down, what I'd love to do is round out with a few quick fire questions. Um, do your best to keep the answer short and let's see what comes out. The first one is, were you born creative? Yes. Can you lose your creativity? Yes. What is the spark? Presence. Are rules helpful for creativity? Yes. Can you learn to be more creative? Yes. Can you teach creativity? Yes. What is your favorite metaphor or quote? Oh, what is my favorite metaphor or quote? You can also make one up if you want. Um, I really love the quote, we are not a universe of atoms, we are a universe of stories. And it's powerful to tell stories. And I think creators of our time must tell new stories. But let's remember that it's a creative process, it's creative endeavor, and that they are just stories. Hold it lightly. Beautiful. Our third and final uh, random word was stop. So I think it's, <laughs> I promise it was random. So really lovely. Um, David Johnson, thank you so, so much for today. It was enlivening, inspiring and all the good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you, Will. It's been a great pleasure to chat. Is there anything you'd like to share regarding where people can find you, your work and the company? Um, yeah, please. Uh, you can look us up, accept and proceed. That is our design agency. Um, you mentioned, we don't know what this is like, check that out as a, as a single word on Instagram to see the next gathering, which is for, um, which is in spring on March the 20th. Love to see you down on Hackney marshes. Um, yeah. Aside from that, like, it's been a great pleasure to chat. And if anything came up for anyone listening, um, and you'd like to chat more, just get in touch. I, I, I'm always up for meeting new people and having new discussions. So I've enjoyed this immensely. Thanks, Will. Beautiful. Thank you, David. And that's a wrap on yet another conversation. We're up to series three, which is amazing. Thank you so much for listening, for engaging, and for supporting if you're a beloved patroon. If you're new here, I'd love to just give you a small insight into the inspiration behind the podcast. It's based upon a favorite metaphor of mine, and it goes something like this. There were five blind folk walking through a jungle. They come across an impassable object. The first one goes to the object, reaches, feels the leg and goes, hmm, 
It's a big, strong tree. The next one comes to the object, feels the side and says, hmm, no, it feels more like a wall. The next one comes up, feels what he thinks is a large snake. The next one comes and says, hmm, no, I think it's more like a spear. After all five perspectives are taken in, they realize that actually the impassable object is an elephant. And to me, this is synonymous with allowing various perspectives to enliven or enlighten one specific topic. The idea therefore is we engage with five different people every series, we interview them on the same topic and we gain five unique insights into this topic. If you enjoyed this series, we also have some previous series. Series one was all around the idea of movement. Series two was all around the idea of injury. And we also have now what we call side notes, a short form version of our conversations that we share between the gaps in our series. As always, it really helps us if you like and share this with your friends and family. We're a self-funded project and we're slowly growing step by step. We'd love to continue these interesting conversations with these amazing individuals for you guys to listen to. So please share, share, share. Thank you so, so much from Will and Harvey. Keep figuring things out. <laughs>